today we are continuing on our series called The Art of Living. And today's subject is one that's a little bit interestingly titled, it's pool fences. So pool that fences. might sound a little bit weird, but I'm really excited for us to get to dive into that today. Yeah, um, so too. as we do that, uh, it's, I'm excited that we get to be on Facebook Live together. So what I would love for you to do is if you have any questions about any of the stuff that we'll be covering today, please go ahead and um, add in a comment right underneath me and uh, ask those questions because we want to make sure all of your questions are able to be answered in this space Absolutely. as much as we can. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, excited to be here. I'm not drinking um, like something super weird. It's just beet juice, just in case you're wondering. I, I just realized you're not drinking a, blood. Is I'm that not, what you're I'm trying not, to yeah. I'm not drinking that's blood. Probably, that's a good thing. Because I'm like, it's just, it's just beet juice. Uh, it's actually really good. Beet, apple, and lemon. So, mm, so good. Some mm. of you just went, no, thank you. And some of you just went, please get me some. That's what I love about yeah. beet juice. You, love yeah, you said you weren't drinking something weird, but you are. A little bit weird. <laughs> a little bit weird. Like, it's weird. Not orange juice. But not the but kind of that's, weird that's, that's really weird. That's great. Yeah. It's healthy. Awesome. Good. Well, um, we really are excited to be here with you guys today because, um, like we said last week, if you either caught it live with us or you had an opportunity to watch it at some point throughout the week, um, as we step into this kind of series that we're calling The Art of Living, it was born originally out of a space a few years ago when we were trying to articulate to the people that call Mosaic home, what it meant to actually live on mission here uh, in the mission that we, have, that we have kind of put on the walls and said is, is what we do. And that is to demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. Like everything we do here uh, as a church, as a body, all of you, us together should ultimately answer the question, yes, we're demonstrating our passion for God or yes, we're demonstrating his passion for people. And we kind of broke that down into three very specific uh, ways that we do that. We love God, we love people, and we serve the world. And what the Art of Living series begins to answer is, okay, that sounds great, but how exactly do we love God again? And how exactly do we love people? And how exactly do we serve the world? And so we have kind of started out with this idea of, okay, in loving God, that's probably the one that's the most complex in some ways, because loving people isn't really that complex. Difficult, difficult, but, but not, not that complex. complex. Yeah. <laughs> and serving the world, the same thing, difficult, but not complex. But loving God is a little bit more complex because there is this uh, reality of what does relationship with God look like? How do I develop it when he's invisible? And, and I don't have the kind of present relationship that I have with the person sitting next to me. So last week we jumped into the idea of conversations with God, including him in everything, and just just making sure that your day is a day where you are ongoingly conversing with God like a child would with their parent. Um, and, and today we step into a slightly different space, but a, a space that's incredibly important in our journey of learning to love God. Mm. And that space ultimately boils down to this word obedience, mm, which yeah. when I say the word automatically becomes this word that in two different worlds uh, sort of has this immediate response like obedience. For some people, they're like, Finally, we're talking about some obedience because we tend to lean into that space where the more you tell me what to do and I'll just do it, the more I feel safe because my safety is actually in uh, what, we, what we might call in its worst case scenario legalism. But just tell me what to do and I'll do it and then you'll like me. 
Yeah. And then for the other side of the coin is all the people going, whatever you tell me to do, watch, I'm going to do the opposite because you're trying to control me. And so there's this immediate response like, hold on, obedience. What do you mean by obedience? And uh, like obeying, I I, I don't really like it. Because the truth is for all of us, who doesn't want to grow up and not have a boss? I mean, nobody wants a boss. What we want is somehow to get a job where... We don't have a boss and, and, and we can kind of do our own thing because it is ingrained in us in our kind of childhood and adult journey that obedience is a unfortunate consequence mm-hmm. of having authority yeah. so that they can tell you what to do. And your yeah. job is to obey when necessary and find ways around it whenever able. <laughs> and, and I think uh, that starts as children. We got these two things called parents as we come out of the womb, and they start telling us what to do from day one, and they seem to keep doing it all the way through. And, and then we get teachers and bosses and everything else that you can imagine, and our entire life is, when do I get to the place where I'm free, where I'm free from uh, rules, regulations? In other words, I don't have to obey anybody. Yeah. And that's the mindset that we have. And what we want to talk about today is how in God's kingdom uh, there is a complete reversal of this concept that actually begins to demonstrate how obedience to God is not an obligation we have, but rather a beautiful way that he parents us into freedom. And so we're going to talk some about that. Okay, that all sounds awesome. So what does that have to do with pool fences? Yes, indeed. Good question. So that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I, will, I will share um, two particular moments in time okay. that I think uh, out, of, out of some years when my children were smaller that really helped me begin to shape uh, a different paradigm on understanding God's commands and what they are in my life. And then, of course, uh, that led to a biblical journey of understanding that what I just discovered through these little stories actually have been written in the Bible the whole, the whole time. So it's, it's not like I figured it out. It's, no, it's in the Bible. I'm just now realizing how it plays out. I, I think the first story that um, plays into this, and then we'll get into the pool fences okay. one, uh, was uh, a number of years ago when my youngest biological child, Cole, was probably two and a half years old, three years old. Um, he was still sleeping in a crib at the time, so maybe two and a half then. And, uh, you know, the, the, the crib is an amazing tool. Uh, How old is Cole now? What's that? He's four, 13? 14. Uh, he's 12. Oh, yeah. he's 12. Yeah, okay. almost 13. And so um, when he was in the crib, um, you'd put him in the crib, and once you put that child in the crib, there was a certain reality of safety uh, that you knew. The child's in the crib, so now I can go and do things because mm-hmm. they're safe, Right. And as a parent, if you've ever had children that have kind of grown past the toddler age, you know that there's that moment where they figure out how to get out of the crib by themselves. And it's like the nightmare moment for a parent. Uh, at the same time, it's the, it's the moment of absolute awe and wonder for the child. And it amazed me how very different the view was that my child had of life uh, in comparison to the view that I had of life as a parent. My child saw life this way. They stick me in this thing with uh, these fences around it, and I'm stuck in here, and I cry, and I'm like, and, and they have to come and get me. And so essentially, it's incredibly restricting. And when I finally figure out how to be free of this restriction, my world opens up to me, and I am, if, I, I am finally able to, to do what I want and go where I want. As a parent, I remember the very first night that Cole 
had figured a way to get out of the crib during the day. And I realized, oh my gosh, the kid knows how to get out of the crib now. And he did it twice in this one particular day. Like I hardly slept that night. I had the monitor on much louder because I'm like, if he gets out of the crib in the middle of the night, which he will if he wakes up, and I don't wake up and he wanders the house and goes out the front door and he's a toddler walking down the street. And you know, I get the call in the morning like, is your kid a toddler named Cole? Uh, we found him six blocks away. <laughs> like, like, that's real. Yeah. yeah. And so I realized he didn't mm-hmm. walk into a world of wonder. He walked into a world of danger. Mm. And because he doesn't have the capacity as a two-and-a-half-year-old to understand the difference, he now has endangered himself without realizing it. And my restrictions on that crib was, in fact, in a way he could never realize as a two-and-a-half-year-old, was in fact um, my safety, my protection of him. That was fully realized, I think, in the pool fences concept. And um, as many of you know, because you, you, know, you, you probably live here or you know of Florida, um, it gets really hot here. We have a ton of pools. And um, I, don't, I don't know that it's true today, but it's at least number two, if not number one. But it's been true for a long time that the, uh, the largest um, effector of death in children under the age of, I think, seven or ten is drownings in Florida. And so more children drown here than any other thing that kills them, which is extraordinary. And so um, because we're a state with so many pools, uh, kids, when they're young, they fall into the pools and they drown. And so there's, there's two things that save a child from drowning. The first and most important one is teach them how to swim. But that takes time. You, you know, that, that takes time. The second one is this thing called a pool fence. So in Florida, yeah, when you is. build a pool, yeah. if you've ever built a pool, you know that it is by law required that they put the pool fence in. You can take it down after they've built the pool, but when that inspector comes, that pool fence better be in. And if you're a smart parent, if you have young ones, toddlers and, and young children, you keep that pool fence in. And the reason you keep the pool fence in is because the pool is an incredibly awesome tool and toy. And having a pool is an amazing privilege for kids. But if you leave a child to go out in the pool by themselves without an adult supervising, the child falls in the pool before they can swim and they sink to the bottom and they can't breathe and they die. And so we kept our pool fence up for a number of years. And I remember, um, I think it was Hadley. I don't quite remember which one, but one of my children when they were little, um, maybe it was Cullen actually, not Cole the kid in the crib, one of the other boys. (laughs) And um, he took this little chair and he shoved it up against the pool fence and he climbed up onto the chair Gosh. and he put his hands up like this to, to reach the top oh, of the pool goodness. fence and he was trying to pull himself over. Now, thankfully, he was little, so the pool fence is high, so you just can't. But I'm standing in the kitchen watching this kid and I'm like, he is so bent on getting in that pool and getting over this pool fence that these crazy adults have put into place to <laughs> restrict him from the joy and wonder mm. that the pool is. But the reality is, here's what he doesn't know. If that pool fence wasn't there or if he got over that pool fence and he fell in that pool, he thinks he'd have fun because when he's in the pool with me, it is a ton of fun. Right. But he doesn't realize I'm holding him up all the time. I'm keeping him from drowning. I'm holding him while he swims mm. to the side. He would sink to the bottom and he would die. He'd lose his life. And so it dawned on me that God, in his infinite wisdom, uh, does this great work of redemption to set us free. And then once he's freed us, He leaves us with this incredible set of commands that he reveals to us through his word. And he says, follow my ways. That's what Jesus says, for example, put my yoke on your shoulders. Uh, Follow my rhythms, my ways, what I say life should look like. And, And 
those ways are not to restrict us from the fun that life is or to keep us from all the things we feel like we should have. Mm. They are pool fences keeping us from drowning in pools we have no business swimming in because we don't know the consequences of that. And so when you start realizing that God's commands is like a crib or like a pool fence that says, I'm just trying to protect you from what you do not know will happen if you don't follow my ways because I know things you don't know, Hmm. because I understand your um, limitations and I understand which things are actually good for you and which things are actually not, though they may feel good. And these are protections. And once you see God's commands as protections and you realize, oh my gosh, you're just trying to keep me not only safe, but make me more free, you start you start encountering his commands wholeheartedly differently. Yeah. You start realizing why David would have written, your commands are like honey to my lips. They are like, they are like the freedom to my soul. Mm-hmm. Because David began to understand when I do things your way, it, go, it leads to, to life and freedom. When I do things my way, it doesn't. And so it's no wonder that Jesus um, uh, wrote through Paul to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that I have set you free. And I I think I I always tell people, God did not set us free to conform us to a set of behaviors. (laughs) He did not die on the cross so he could make us behave. To just make us He would have made us behave other ways. Yeah, absolutely. He died on the cross to set us free. Mm. But our freedom that we have through Christ eternally is then restricted when we do things that are outside of God's ways because we don't realize they restrict our freedom, but he does. So he gives us commands. That's where the pool fences concept came from. Remember that God's commands are pool fences. See them as such, behave toward them as such, and they'll become a gift to you, not a curse. Yeah, absolutely. Or not a burden. The goal, God's goal for our lives isn't just compliance, right? Like if he wanted just compliant automatrons, he would have created us like that. Mm -hmm. But instead, he gave us the ability to choose to see the pool fence kind of for what it is, right? And then we have the opportunity to live under that or not. Um, Before I get to the next question, though, I want to do a few shout outs really quick to everyone who is uh, listening and watching at this time. Uh, it looks like we have Eddie Jr. watching. We got, uh oh. Eddie. Eddie. We got Brazil, you, buddy. We miss you. Come we got back. Lulu. We got Aileen. Um, my wife, Allie. Hey, babe. What's up, Allie? Uh, she is watching. We got Mina and Heidi and Shelby. Man, we got all kinds of awesome people from, uh, from everyone from Brazil, the Winter Garden campus and the Disney campus all checking out right now. Great to now. have you guys with us. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. So just to go right back into the idea of pool fences and what these pool fences exactly are. So uh, these are the commands of God, right? The things that he would desire for us to do to live in the freedom that you're talking yeah, about. Absolutely. So here's the question though. Christians, as we look at the commands in the Bible today from our perspective, from our vantage point, how do we realize which of the commands we're supposed to keep following and which ones aren't necessarily? And who even decides that? That's a a great question. Um, It is relatively complex when you look at Mm. the whole Bible and you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much in it. Like, where do I begin? What does this look like? And how do I even know which things in there are commands intended to lead me into freedom and which ones are commands that no longer have relevancy and actually become binding because Paul did and Peter and and the other New Testament authors did write that when we see the law as something we have to keep in order to be righteous 
then it becomes a crushing weight and a burden to us. But when the law is the pool fence, a means by which we live in righteousness and in freedom because we've been set free by Christ, then it's our freedom. So the question is, as you go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot of commands in the Old Testament that seem odd, I would say. Um, and mm-hmm. some of them we even today say, no, 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 we, we don't need to do those anymore. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say foundationally, in its simplest form, though we can unpack this in a lot more detail, uh, there are in the Old Testament uh, different kinds of commands intended for different purposes. Some for a season in the human journey that did not include God's redemptive work through Jesus, and some in a season in the human journey that included God's redemptive work in Jesus. Before Jesus came and died and became the sacrificial lamb, there was a system put in place in the Old Testament that atoned or covered, if you will, the sin of the people temporarily until God fulfilled his redemption through Jesus. And we called that the sacrificial system. Mm. So there, was, there were three components. There was us, the human being, infected by sin, having a nature of sin, right? There was the law given to Moses that was righteousness written down, like here's what that looks like. And then there was the sacrificial system given to us as a gift so that when we, the infected people with sin, broke the law, Mm. judgment that would occur, our wrath or death, right, would not occur temporarily because we would, death, which is the fruit of, of, of sin, would be satisfied by this sacrificial system. So an animal had to pay the price of its life in order to atone. Now, it was temporal atonement. It didn't actually do anything for us, and, but it was teaching us something about, this, about the, the sacrifice Jesus would be. There were then a bunch of laws in place about that sacrificial system. You, you, you got to do this. You can't eat that. You got to stay, stay clean in this way. You got to all these different things. And they were directly tied to the sacrificial system. When Jesus came and became our ultimate sacrifice, Mm -hmm. fulfilling all of the sacrificial uh, requirements of sin and death and became our lamb, we no longer need the sacrificial system to atone for sin. We have Jesus. So all of the laws that are applicable to the sacrificial system that have purpose in, in that system no longer have relevance. And, so, and the reason for that is that Jesus fulfilled the law. That's yeah. right. He, did, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So he didn't do away with it, but he accomplished what the purpose of the law was, which was to lead us to an understanding of what righteousness and purity looks like. And that's why whenever we broke a commandment, we were defiled and we couldn't have relationship with a righteous and holy God. The sacrificial system was, was given so that the people could maintain a relationship with God, though they were sinful people. When Jesus came and fulfilled the law, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Um, he died a substitutionary death on the cross so that we could enjoy the righteousness that he earned on our behalf. And so because Jesus has already fulfilled the law for righteousness— we don't look at the law anymore and say, oh, I have to make sure that every time I look at a woman with lust, I need to kill a dove um, and, and have it burned on an altar so that God will forgive me. No, Jesus has already performed perfectly. Jesus never looked at a woman with lust. Jesus was 
fully righteous, and he's applied that righteousness to me so that when I look at a woman with lust, I repent. Jesus forgives me because he's already made a way for me to be righteous, despite the fact that we are still struggling with sin. And so when we look at the law now, we look at it much differently. And I think that was the the biggest, like, mind-blowing aha moment 12 years ago or, or 11 years ago when you preached this sermon series on uh, pool fences mm-hmm. is this idea that now the function of God's commands in my life are not so that he'll love me, are not so that he'll, he'll uh, accept me. The function of God's commands in my life are that I will live in the freedom that he designed for me. Yep. And it's just such a different, it's it does, a, it a different everything. paradigm. And then it helps you also understand which ones to keep because now the moral law which uh, are laws about relationships that we have. Like and The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. We're going to hang on to those. Yeah. Those are good. Don't, don't thou kill. shalt not kill. Don't yeah. kill people. Good I think thing. that's probably and, yeah. a good and thing. It, makes, it, yeah. it yeah. makes super sense because when you start looking at the laws that God, both Old and New Testament, unpacked, or even in the New Testament when God talks about um, how we are to deal with each other or God, uh, God teaches on... Um, build each other up, don't tear each other down, do not be deceitful, don't have malice. Like, like you know, uh, all these things that he says that are commands. Don't do these things, do these things. Don't do these things, do these things. Stay, stay away from these things, don't do these things. Sexual immorality, all these kinds of things. When you look at all of those, when we tap into those and we, and, and we step into the things God says not to, or we don't step into things God says to, the fruit of that in sometimes the immediate and sometimes the long haul is always destructive. Yeah. And so you start realizing pretty quickly, like when I lie, even if I lie now to gain a footing in my journey, in my career, and this little lie here gets me to the next level, yes, it seems like the fruit there is good. Right. But in the end, mm. those things never lead anywhere good because those patterns, those realities always end up circling they back. They produce death. Yeah. They produce death. Yeah. And so the commands we follow now are the ones that are not tied to the sacrificialist system, that are moral law. And we follow them because they are freedom. Mm-hmm. If you handle your marriage in the way that the scriptures unpacks handling a marriage, your marriage goes better. Yeah. If you handle your money the way scripture unpacks to handle your money, your money goes better. Yeah. This isn't God's reward like, if you do it my way, I'll reward you with prosperity. It is literally the principle that if you do it my way, it leads to greater freedom. Right. It leads to good things. If you save money instead of spend it all, you'll have money when you need it. I mean, that's it's, just, it's yeah. like it's just principle. principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in our nation, we've seen so often when we violate these little commands, they don't lead anywhere good. There's we have a nation of debt. We have yeah, a nation yeah. that that's that's versions of relationship mm-hmm. are so confusing now. I don't even know anymore which direction to go, whether it be in marital relationships and friendships and in the relationships we have with each other. It's all just confusing and it's bad and divorce rates uh, in our nation have always been high and things are falling apart. And fr- Why? Because when you actually boil down, you're like, yep, we're not, we're not playing this out yeah. the way God said to play it out. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So just to touch back on something that Joel said a little bit ago, you were talking about how Jesus kind of upped the ante in a lot of ways, where he's like, I, you've heard it said this way. I say this. Yeah. And the difference really is that heart difference, right? He's like, you, you're focused so much on your actions. Totally. Go towards the heart. And where I'm so like, I grew up in the church world as a kid. And I, and I, I was the child of uh, a police officer. So I knew to follow rules. Yeah, you did. Or to sneak around and get away with it anyway. <laughs> right. Or try. Didn't work out very well for me. 
But with that, it's so easy for me, and I'd imagine it's so easy for so many of us who have grown up with some type of religious experience where we're like, obedience, yeah, rules, what do I do? Like, okay, sweet, if I just save, then I have money. If I just love my wife better, if I just do things for her, then everything will turn out just so. But there's still that heart difference, mm-hmm. right? So how do we, if we find ourselves just taking this and we go, oh, sweet, okay, pull fence, good thing, God's commands, great, checklist. And how do we, how do we get away from that and move to kind of a gospel perspective of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think to a large extent, that's kind of the point of moving our thinking from rules and regulations to pull fences. If God's commands are for my freedom and for my protection, right. then it starts the heart change. That's the beginning point for the heart change. Because now I'm looking at his rules and I'm actually wanting to know what they are, mm-hmm. right? Not because I have to follow them to have him like me yeah. or reward me, but because I've now realized I can ignore them and I may find myself in some regularity falling into a pool, sinking to the bottom and not being able to breathe. And I've always equated that to the, that point where you've stepped into something, uh, that, that moment where you're looking at your finances and you're deep in debt and there's trouble on the horizon now and you're like, what do we do? That, those are the moments in life where your marriage is a giant mess because you haven't been following the ways of God for 15 years and now the whole thing's fallen apart and you're sitting in that moment where the phone call's happening like, do we end this or don't we? Mm-hmm. Those are the moments where I feel like I, I have that same feeling sitting in the bottom of a pool, like not knowing how to get to the top mm-hmm. because I can't swim and trying to breathe. And all I'm breathing in is water into my lungs. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. done for. So once we realize, gosh, I don't want to fall into pool after pool after pool in life and find myself at the bottom of another circumstance, at the bottom of another relationship, at the bottom of another reality. I want to actually be safe. Then it moves these commands from a checklist of things I need Mm. to do to a thing I desire to know and then apply to my life because I'm like, no, 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 I do this because I know at the end it's going to lead to something free rather than something bound and dead. And so can can I add maybe a little something to that? Something that you said earlier really like stuck out to me about this whole pool fence analogy and how it plays out with the law of God in our life. Um, You you said that... um, Cullen wanted to get into the water because he thinks the water's fun because he has fun when you're in the pool playing with him, Mm -hmm. right? But the disconnect is that he wants to get into the pool and have all of that fun, but he thinks he can do that without his dad. And and that's, that's profound because we try to find ways to live life apart from God constantly. Adam and Eve did it, and we are in the same cycle of life that we try to figure out how to live this life without our father. And what a pool fence does is it should show us that our father actually cares about us, that our father wants us to live, that our father is good and that he wants us to be safe. And what a pool fence ought to do, instead of us looking at it and say, how can I pull the chair up? How can I climb over it? How can I get into the pool without my dad? What it should do is, is point our face to our father and say, dad, I would love to go swimming would you take me swimming today? And that's the goal of this life. Like the reason why God created us is that we would know him, mm-hmm. that we would enjoy it. I love the Westminster, uh, Westminster Catechism says, the first thing it says is that the chief end of man, the reason why we are, are 
in existence and what our sole purpose is. The chief end of mankind is to know God and to enjoy him forever. This is what John Piper describes as Christian hedonism. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of we live for joy, but that joy comes from knowing our father. And so I think the pool fence, what it ought to do in our lives is it ought to show us that our father is a loving father and that he wants to spend time with us in the pool and that our greatest joy, our greatest freedom is instead of trying to get over the fence and get into the pool on our own, is to go to the father and say, father, dad, Abba, would you spend time with me today in the pool so that we can enjoy one another? And that's the whole point. And that's how we move from this idea of pool fence, okay, system, formula, check. If I do this thing, then God's going to, you know, that's how we move out of that mentality of using a system to get what we want into a loving relationship with God our Father. And what it does is it says, okay, when I handle my finances the way that God says, when I handle my marriage the way that God says, I don't just experience the freedom that comes from that, but I experience the relationship with my father of doing life with my father, doing life in his way. it's, it's, It's swimming in life with God rather than swimming in life without God. That's right. And, and I mean, pr- not, not just I've accepted Jesus or not. I mean, on a, daily, on a daily basis now, you are telling me how to live this life and that's me swimming in the pool with you. Because oftentimes the things we seek out, we, they look like a pool to us. Totally. They feel like a pool to us, but God's saying d- definitely don't do that. The reason he's saying definitely don't do that is because when you jump, uh, it's not a pool. And, and, and then it, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, so. that is so good. Um, what you guys both just said reminds me of an acronym that um, Christians can often hold on to that I think is very unbiblical, but Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. Oh, Lord. And it's this idea that, oh, sweet, now I have the instruction manual to life. So, and now I have all the right things, I can just do the right things, and it's great. But the problem with instruction manuals are, I guess more for us, it would be now YouTube instructions, right? If you right. had a YouTube video. If you have a YouTube video on how to change the oil in your car, guess what you don't need? The mechanic. Yeah. Because now you can just do it on your own. But the pool fence, like what you said, it reveals our deep need for, for dad yeah, to absolutely. come and help us to go swim. Yeah. I think that is so beautiful. Well, and that's the whole point of the law in the Old Testament, too, is it was meant to reveal to the nation of Israel, you can't do this on your own. I can give you, and it was, it was six, 613 commands, 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a <laughs> Sounds lot. Sounds terrible. Or 633. Do you remember? Yeah. Anyway, Brady would yeah. know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I think it's 613. And that's a lot of laws. That's a lot of rules. That's a lot of, of, of uh, things to remember and to keep. And what's so funny, if you look at uh, today, modern day, uh, you know, uh, God-fearing Jewish people who don't know Jesus, um, they have laws and, and rules to help them obey their laws and to hope, help them obey their rules. So they have all of these different contraptions that they've built. As do so that Christians they to who are Sabbath. living by, by legalism. Uh, legalism. You, the church creates laws to keep you from breaking the laws that are breaking the laws that will break the laws that are the biblical laws. I mean, it and really that, is, and, and we miss the whole point of the law. And that's what Jesus said when he rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you search the whole scriptures. You know them inside and out. You've memorized the whole Torah. You've searched the whole scriptures, but you've missed the whole point. And the whole point of the law is to show us our need for Jesus, our need for a savior. 
And, and you know, when we, when we recognize the purpose, it's like you said, it's not, the Bible is not a, an instruction manual before leaving earth just so we know how to navigate yeah. this life. It's not the how-to of, of humaning. It is a way for us to know what God, our Father, desires for us so that we can experience life It's essentially putting God's eyes on, right? So imagine if my mm-hmm. three-and-a-half-year-old trying to crawl out of that crib or two-and-a-half-year-old could for a moment see all that I see, could understand all that I understand. Perceive that, yeah, living They there. would probably just go, oh, and lay down in that crib and go, man, I'm finally safe. And in some ways, the Word of God gives us this voice of God to say, know what I know, know what I see, here it is, follow my ways, put on my yoke, and what does he say? And I will give you rest for your soul. Mm, yeah. Matthew 20, um, 11, uh, 28 and 29. Yeah. Is you come do this my way, and what you will get is rest for your soul. That's more than freedom. That's like this perfect place of like, I'm good, I'm good, because I'm with my father yeah. doing life and trusting his ways. And that's why pool fences became to me such a, oh, every time I look at a new command now, right, look at, I feel restricted by something I'm not allowed to do because the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And I go, remember, Rena, this is a pool fence. And if you don't remember that, you're gonna try to climb over it and end up on the bottom of a yeah, pool. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's really good stuff. Um, mm. Well, let's press pause for just a second and do another round of quick shout outs. I think Eric Klinger's on here. Klinger. How's that arm, buddy? Hope you're doing well, brother. Got Stacy and Jen and David. Guys, thank you so much for being on here right now. Yep. And it looks like Michelle also joined us and Richie. And Richie has a, our first question for us. Hey, thanks, Richie. Come all right. So, hey, you guys, feel free to jump into this yeah. conversation. We can... We can chat all day, but it'd be great to to have you guys jump in. Yeah, absolutely. Keep um, shooting in those questions. So Richie asks, how would you address a non-believer that brings up Old Testament laws that really just keeps relenting on that and uh, discerning an actual commandment from a metaphor in a way that shows what Jesus did for us? Hmm. So if a non-believer were to come to me and say, hey, you know, uh, the Bible has all these strange commands, um, you know, about... Uh, you know, uh, certain types of uh, uh, blends of clothing that you're yeah. not supposed to have or markings you're not supposed to have on your body or, you know, those kinds of things. If they're coming to us asking a question saying, uh, I don't really understand how this makes any sense and how it applies, how, how would we respond to that? Is that really what he's kind of yeah, getting at? Yeah, it's, it looks that way. And I'm specific, thinking of specific metaf- commandments that might lead to metaphors. So like, for instance, the one that I could think of is the sacrificial system. That kind of would probably strike a little bit weird. There's all these commandments about, like you guys were pointing out, about um, killing a dove or a sheep. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, one of the things, Richie, that I, I always try to do anytime I'm interacting with somebody that does not know Jesus is that in any question that they may ask, and this is a perfect example of that, um, I'm going to think to myself immediately, what is it about this question that can redirect us now to the reality of what God was revealing in Jesus in and gospel, his great work yeah. of, of redemption, the gospel, right? Yeah. So somebody comes to me and goes, man, I, I've heard some stuff about the Bible or read some stuff, and it's just, it's crazy, these commands. I get to sit, sit and say some of the things that Joel said earlier. Yeah, you know, there was actually like over 600 of them, 
and they were exhausting and burdensome. In fact, the New Testament speaks of that. Mm-hmm. The authors in the New Testament will write things like, the, the law was this crushing weight that, uh, that we couldn't sustain. Or you might even say, you know, when Jesus was on the planet, mm-hmm. he would say to the Pharisees, you have taken something that was meant to reveal beauty and you've made it a burden to the people. Mm-hmm. You crush them under its weight. Um, so the law was actually intended to, to demonstrate and reveal the complexity and weightiness of righteousness. And that we, the human race, infected by sin, were incapable, since our nature was sinful, of ever bearing the weight right. of this kind of insanity. So it's almost like saying this, yep, you're right. The Old Testament laws were crazy. And if you try to live by them to please the divine, the only inevitable end to that would be that you will not please the divine and you will therefore face whatever consequence or punishment or wrath would come from the divine. That's actually the point, that Jesus came to say, I am going to fulfill all of those, even though they're impossible, because I can do the impossible and I don't have a sin nature, and I'm God, and then I'm going to take on the punishment that all of you should have because you didn't fulfill all of those, and then I'm going to become the substitution of your righteousness. And that is an incredible thing. Yeah. Uh, I think I just offended Joel. Yeah, so. it's okay. <laughs> I'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah. Uh, and so the bottom line is, I'm going to always look for a way to say, how does the weightiness of all the commands give me space to demonstrate why Jesus was such a gift and is such a gift? And then I'm going to go from there to say now that Jesus has set us free from the weightiness mm. of the law because the law was not just a test. It was the revelation of righteousness, the the moral law, Mm -hmm. that we still, when we walk in it, find ourselves now in greater freedom. And then I'll say something like, now there was the moral law, which was righteousness. And then there was the sacrificial law, which all the metaphors and the weird stuff, Mm -hmm. that was to keep the cleansliness and the holiness of the sacrificial animals so that we understood that what death, de- what sin demanded wasn't just the death of anything, but the death of purity. And all the, the cleansliness laws that were keeping us from just uh, in our sin, uh, sort of spiraling into a subhuman space, yeah. if you will. Yeah, that's, that's really good to touch on, and especially as we, as we are seeking to be a gospel voice in our workplaces, neighborhoods, families, and et cetera. It's really important that we are able to articulate and actually engage in those dialogues and be able to say, yeah, I'm with you. That does sound crazy. To be able to yep. actually make it a dialogue where it's not just one of defensiveness, where yep, we feel right. like we need to protect God. Yep. Like, all of a sudden, God's honor is at stake, and it's all on us to do that. And then, of course, in a conversation like this, I mean, this is kind of why, why we do this as well. Mm-hmm. The pool fences illustration yeah. uh, is a great illustration to say, actually, this is what it, it really yeah. looks like. So when I'm engaging with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, there's multiple options yeah. to navigate this with them. Because it's real. We're not trying to, well, tell them this because, you know, we don't want them to know this. It's like, no, we actually want anyone to know the real reality of God's love for mm-hmm. us through his commands. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, we have Sherry and Heike that both just joined. Hey, What's guys. Up, guys? 
Great to have you guys with us. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, please feel free to continue sending in those questions. Uh, one thought that I had based off of just talking about, like as we are engaging with, uh, with a non-believer or just for any of us that are currently living in a space where the reality in our life present is that we jump the pool fence. Yeah. We are sitting at the sure. bottom of sure. the pool. What, what do we do now? What, what's that next step even look like for us? That is a, a, not only a great question, but an incredibly important question yeah. because the reality is that for many of us, that's exactly where we find ourselves. And then we come to a place like this and we're like, oh no, so I, I guess I've drowned. And I, I, guess, I, I guess it's over. All done. So there's, yeah. there's two things I, I would say. Um, and, and, and in some ways, this kind of just ties to like, let's just make this real. You fall in a pool you realize after a, a little bit, oh no, what have I done, right? There is that moment where we kind of all look at the pool fence from under the pool and go, I should have probably stayed on that side. Yeah. What do you do then? Do you just sit at the bottom of the pool and go, oh well, no, what does a person actually do when they realize they can't swim? They start crying out for help, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's flailing their arms, whether it's crying now at the bottom of the pool, when we're crying out for help, but we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm under a bunch of water. There's, there's, there's two things. One, in my crying out for help, trust that God the Father, just like if I were there, let's say in my little illustration I used of, of uh, Cullen trying to get over that fence. Let's say he did get over the fence. I mean, I, I knew he couldn't, but let's say he did. Let's say he figured it out. And I'm standing in the kitchen watching. And, and, and he falls in the pool. Like, what exactly would I do? Like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, well, stupid kid should have stayed this side of the old fence, right? <laughs> like he knows if he's my kid and I'm his dad, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to get him. Now, when I pull him out of the pool, like I'm, I'm going to have some words, you know what I'm saying? I remember one time a, a good friend of mine, uh, his son was little and he was kind of one of those boys that just kind of pushed the limits a bunch. And he was, we were, we were on the pool deck. This is no joke. And then the pool fence was down because all the adults were there and he was little and he was on this little like tricycle thing. And he kept like going toward the edge of the pool and then backing up. And I would watch and I would kind of lean forward. And his dad just kind of went like this. Just, just wait, just wait. And so I watched and he went forward and he went back oh, and eventually no. pushed oh, too no. far. And the front tipped and he went in head first, right? And I just got up. And, and he's, I mean, his dad would have gotten up a second yeah. later. I just got up. I reached my hand down, grabbed his ankle. And I pulled him up out of the pool upside down by his ankle. And his dad looked at him and said, well, I hope you've learned your lesson now. And then there was, you know, there was the talk like, mm-hmm. this is what happens. But the, the point is that a hand came down and grabbed because I'm not the kind of guy, nor is he the kind of guy that would go, well, let's see if he drowns. Right. So one, know that God made promises like I will finish every good work that I began in every story I began. I will make all things new. God's grace is, 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 is extraordinary and wondrous. Um, so even in our failure, God is gracious. Even in our failure, God is merciful. Now, I will, I will just put this caveat on here. If you're currently in the pool and you're kind of looking at God going, see, see, this is, you, you're living in disobedience. You've crossed the pool fence. You don't really care. It's going well for you. That's not the kind of rescue I'm talking about. I'm talking about you've come to a place of recognition. Then we, 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 we I would say this, uh, trust God that he has a story that is gracious and he's coming for you to repent. So repentance means kind of going, oh, I am 
so sorry, I get it now. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Repentance also includes this. This is not a pool fence I'm going to jump again. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think our repentance is oftentimes like, if I say sorry, will God rescue me from this insanity, then I can do it again? Yeah. And, and what, re- what real repentance is, in fact, is sitting at the bottom of a pool going, wow, no thank you. Next time, pool fence, market, don't climb this one. In other words, turning from us in. And then I would say this, that crying for help, reach out yeah. to where the biblical community is, and here's why. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think, in churches. The body of Christ is now the church. He said that. I didn't. And when you used to run to Jesus in a physical body to ask him for things like, I'm sick, will you heal me? I'm stuck, will you help me? You now run to Jesus in his current body, and that's the church. And so... You come to the church and you say, man, I am in debt. Man, I'm addicted to this, that, or the next thing. Man, my marriage is falling apart. Man, I, I have just made a big mess in my workplace. I've lied a bunch, bunch, bunch of stuff and I've just gotten caught and now I'm in trouble. Can, can you help? And we, if you're in a good biblical community, will step in and journey with you through it. It won't necessarily be an easy road. We're not going to fix it for you. We're going we're gonna to help you journey into freedom. Mm-hmm. And that may be, a, uh, it gets worse before it gets better. It may be, it gets better right away. Yeah. Who knows? But that's the journey. I know from a financial standpoint, just traveling through something like financial peace or um, the, uh, any one of the financial institutions mm-hmm. that, uh, from a biblical perspective, lead you through healthy finances. I talk to people all the time that did that. And they're like, oh my gosh. I feel so free now to be able to do what I need to do. Now we've got seven more years ahead of working to eliminate our debt. But suddenly I feel this freedom of like, that's what we're heading toward. Yeah, there's hope. Now I know where I'm going. I'm no longer drowning. I'm swimming. I'm not out of the pool yet, but I'm swimming because, because there, there's help. So that's what I would say. What you don't want to do is get to the bottom of the pool and live in shame there. Mm. Oh, well, I should have never jumped the pool fence, but I don't want anybody to know. So I'm just going to sit here at the bottom of the pool and wallow. And that's how you drown. So cry for help, repent, and trust God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just that re- realization, that remembrance that God is a good dad. Yep. Um, just like he doesn't give his kids that ask him for bread a stone or a snake, he also doesn't just sit there and go, man, let's just see what happens. Yep. Like he's, he's a better dad than you are. Yep. So in that, he wants to be present. <coughs> and that's the beauty of biblical community that when we live in community, we get to be the hands and feet of, of those stories of redemption. Yep. And he loves to tell those. So I love the fact that you would um, draw awesome. that into there as well. One of the observations I would just make right now um, is, isn't it funny that usually when Joel and I are on the couch together, it's a constant vying for position in talking, but Joel's been like essentially silent. Do you know why that is? <laughs> because he has a new baby and he's so stinking tired and he can hardly stay awake. And I'm so excited about this current position I'm in because I've gone through my insanity and my youngest is 12 now and he's just getting started on his. And that just makes me excited. Like, I love how exhausted he is right now. Yeah, one of the one of the. Don't you guys love how exhausted Joel is right now? <laughs> one of the. Look, he can hardly speak. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've been thinking about as you guys have been sharing um, while I've been trying to stay awake is, um, you know, with this new baby that we have. So my wife Lauren and I um, have a almost three week old um, named Haddon. We love her and it's awesome. Um, but 
you know, just thinking about this idea of, you know, the, the Father and desiring to be present in our lives and, and for life to go well when we are living according to his way. Um, you know, when you're trying to get a baby to sleep, one of, the, one of the most important things that you can do is to swaddle them. And, you know, the process of swaddling is a very interesting process because you have this little baby who doesn't really know exactly what's, what's happening in the moment but you're literally you know, putting them in a cocoon of fabric uh, to hold their limbs together. And, and when you think about that, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a more restrictive reality. I mean, it's, essentially it's a straitjacket for an infant, right? And, um, but the reality is, is that if you don't swaddle a baby, they don't have the uh, de- dexterity that they need um, to put themselves to sleep on their own. And if they do fall asleep unswaddled, a lot of times they'll have like this awake reflex and they'll throw their arms out and they'll wake themselves up uh, in that process. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing that, um, you know, they can be crying, they can be struggling, they can be frustrated, they can be, you know, all of these things and they can't get to sleep on their own. But the moment that you swaddle them, you wrap them in this safe cocoon even though it's restrictive, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And it gives them the freedom to fall to sleep at that point. And um, it just makes me think of this whole idea of, um, you know, when we are living in the protection of God's command, even though in some ways it's actually restricting to us, meaning we don't get to do everything that our impulses or our desires would lead us toward. But we're safe in that, and it gives us the freedom and the peace to be able to rest in him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it makes me just one more thing. Yeah. Um, so David said this in Psalm 139, and I think it's so cool. It's just really, like, been blowing my mind since we've had this new baby that we've been trying, trying to put to sleep. And he's talking about how much God knows us and how intimately he mm-hmm. knows us. And he says, oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Mm -hmm. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Listen to this, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, Mm -hmm. and you lay your hand upon me. And that idea of being hemmed in, that's being swaddled. um, that That you swaddle me in. And then you lay your hand uh, upon me. Whenever Haddon is in her bassinet and she wakes up, when she's swaddled, I walk up to her and she wakes up and she needs to go back to sleep. And all I do is I just put my hand right on her chest, just <laughs> lay, lay my hand upon her, and she goes back to sleep. And that's exactly what God is desiring to do in our lives, is that he swaddles us in his love. He hems us in with his commands. He says, listen, this is the way I want you to live so that you can have peace. And this is what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you that you may find what? Rest yes. for yes. your souls. Yes. And, um, and he lays his hand upon us and he loves us. Yep. And he's, a, he's a good father. Yep. And and I think that's the whole thing. This, this that, cool that, fence that idea That is the whole is point of all of this yeah. is... Um, at the end of the day, as we, when we started, how do we love God? And I think one of the things I realized in our journey of loving God is one of the things that typically causes us to love him less is commands, right? Right, right. The Absolutely. typical idea is I love God, but I'm a little frustrated with all the restrictions. And this is true of my teenagers, and it's true of uh, young children, is they love their parents, 
but they're also like, what the heck is all this? And when we begin to understand, that's why so often when our children become adults and they get their own children, they're like, oh, and then they make the phone call and they write the letter like, I'm so sorry for everything I said and you're a wonderful mom and dad um, because, because they have the clarity. And when they have the clarity, their love for us increases. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I'm, at least I'm, I'm hoping for those who have gone past the teenage years, please tell me it's true yeah, you'll because get I'm not there yet. But, um, but with, my, you know, with my oldest biological, I, th I think we're, we're getting there more with Hadley being at college now and having her come home and just say things like, man, I, I, I'm starting to get why, uh, who I am today when I look at many of the people that I'm around, like the things you've poured into me. Wow, thank you. I think as we, as children of God, begin to realize, oh, his commands are the swaddling cloth around me. His commands are the pool fence from the pool. His commands are the crib in which I sleep. His commands are all the places that keep me from danger, keep me from death, and keep me safe so that I can rest. Then our love for him grows because we're like, oh, that's why you, you tell me to do all these things. And, and, I, and I do love that. One of my favorite poems is a poem called Batter My Heart, Three-Personed God by John Donne, uh, old poem. And the last two lines of the poem says, never shall, I be, um, uh, never shall I be free lest you imprison me, hmm. never chaste lest you ravish me. And so this idea that my freedom is most experienced when I am swaddled, when I am when I'm encased yeah. in the safety of God's ways. And the more I'm willing to say, these are your ways, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in them, the more free I am. And the second I live outside of his ways, I'm not free. I'm actually only going to hurt myself, only going to wake myself, only going to stir myself. Yeah. And so, man, what a, what a beautiful clarity to cause us to love God more than to discover his commands on my safety. And I think that's why Jesus says, you know, we have to come to God as children, yeah. you know. And I think when we recognize, man, we are not as, as wise as we think. We, are, we do not have things figured out the way that we think. And we look at life and we say, man, if I were in control, I would do it this way. This is the way that life should be. This is how I can make life what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And God is just whispering to us, hey, child, listen to me. I know what's best for you. Here are my commands. They're for good. They're not for harm. They're, they're going to lead you. And, and I love, you know, what we learned throughout the, our journey through the Old Testament at Mosaic over and over and over again is that when we do things God's way, it leads us to life and freedom. When we do things our own way, it leads us to death and destruction. Yeah. There's no way around that. That is the way that the creator of the universe, when he spoke the world into existence, when we live his way, it leads us to life and freedom. Yeah. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Um, and so trusting that God is a good father, yep. coming to him as a child and saying, Abba, I, I need you. Um, that's, that's what the commands of God are all about. When we look at it that way, now we're not trying to figure out ways to be righteous. We're not trying to figure out ways to be, uh, you know, uh, to follow the rules and get God to do what we want, you know, him to do for us. We're just living in the freedom that he designed and living in relationship with our Father. And that's what the commands of God, that's where they belong in the life mm -hmm. of a follower of Jesus. And that causes us yeah. to love God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, we have, uh, we have time for one last question. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a practical one. Before we do, just wanted to do a few more shout outs. It looks like Sarah is here and she likes my shirt. It's a great shirt. It's our vision for this year. Love it. Awesome. Uh, Melanie, Rachel, Judy, and Danielle, and Heike and Leslie specifically have pointed out that they are grateful that Joel is here and encourage and want to encourage him, although he's a sleep-deprived dad. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Leslie. That's awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Well, let's um, end with a question that is um, fairly practical. Again, uh, a lot of our questions keep coming back to Old Testament. So when it comes to the Old Testament, Lulu asks, why is the Old Testament so difficult to get through? I'm struggling. So with that in mind, specifically, I was hoping that we might be able to just touch on just a couple little nuggets of wisdom on some strategies to get through Old Testament law and prophets and stories and all, the, all those things that are important. What do I do can with I, them? Can I give her just one quick? Yeah. Yeah. Go listen to the podcast from... Uh, Renault preaching through the Old Testament first, and then start reading your, your Bible. And here's why I say that, is because Renault did a masterful job through the Old Testament um, of, of helping people understand why each book was written and what the mega theme of that book is all about. And when you understand the mega theme of what God is doing in, in the big picture, it helps you get through some of the more like difficult, tedious things. And, and when I say tedious, I just mean um, you know, it's it's stuff that you really have to be studying to understand what yeah. it's about um, in, in its details. So, for example, the genealogies, okay. they're hard to yeah. read through. But when you study them, they're incredibly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't understand why they're there, and ultimately they're there to show us that Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus came and mm-hmm. in the way that God promised. But, like, if you have an understanding of what the big picture is, then when you're reading through the Old Testament, it actually becomes really fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's one of the downsides of those read the Bible in three years or mm-hmm. one year or whatever is you're reading these massive passages and other than just reading them, like you're like, what am I reading? Leviticus, I mean, my goodness gracious. But, well, when you, but, but Leviticus but, was the first sermon I heard Renaud preach. Yeah, but, but here's, and I but, was like, but here's why. I preached Leviticus in one Sunday. I mean, yeah. think about Romans. We did one verse for five Sundays. You right, know? So right. like, they're, they're, but here's why. The entire point of Leviticus is, do you want to see how insanely complex the law is and how crushing it can be and how insane it would be to try to be righteous? Ta-da, read Leviticus. Right. So should you read Leviticus at some point? Yes. yes. But you should read it knowing what you're reading. Right. Read this and thank God for every other verse you read that you no longer live under this, but you live under Christ. Right. If you understand each of the spaces, it's just helpful. And so I would say, um, if you're going to read the Old Testament, do what Joel said, or uh, get a study Bible, and at yes. the beginning of each book, before you read the book, yeah. read the study notes, the, uh, the author, yeah. the yep. the setting, the, yep. the deal, just yep. so you're like, oh, this is here, this is why this is happening, this is what's happening, and you'll have a little bit of a better and idea. The, and the ESV yeah. study Bible is excellent. It's a great one, yeah. 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 So bottom line is, that'll be helpful, but at the end of the day, remember again, when we're reading the Old Testament, we're now reading it not as a backstory, because it's very much this story along with the New Testament, but as the part of the story that prepares us to understand why Jesus is such a gift. That's right. That's yeah. what it is. And so um, read it in that That light. That's so great. I remember one thing that you shared with me probably about three years ago, Reno, that is deeply impacted the way I approach all of the scripture is you said something like, I don't, I don't quote unquote, study the Bible. I study the heck out of context 
and then I live in the I live in the scriptures. Yeah. And just entering in because you you've unpacked and you know the why behind why this matters, kind of what you're getting at there. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple other quick resources that I could think of. We've used the the, um, the Bible Project oh, before. It's amazing. Yeah. Bible Project YouTube videos. Also BibleProject.com phenomenal before I go into any new book of the Bible. Absolutely. I always look at those videos. Yeah. And they have, they have videos that are titled literally the books of the Bible. Yeah. So you go, you, you want to know before you read Genesis, what it's about, go to the Bible project, YouTube page and type in Genesis, yeah. watch that video and it'll really enlighten yeah. you. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Well guys, thank you so much for being here and thank you guys all thank so much guys, for yeah. being here. Uh, I hope that you guys had a great lunch hour with all of us up and here. And if you missed this, uh, not only can you watch this again, uh, if you missed the first half, of the, but also on our uh, website, the podcast that all of this is coming out of is called The Art of Living. And I did all of these in a message series, which there's some content in there we don't cover in here that might be helpful to you. Yeah. So you can always go listen to that. That's great. This yeah. one is literally called Pool Fences. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you guys back here next week.